Luke chapter 1. We'll read the first 25 verses. So Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Inasmuch as uh, many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write in an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. <clears throat> in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there is a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and they appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when they came out, He was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of service was ended, he he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and for this time of study in which we will be able to engage for the cosmic shifts that took place at your coming and the very signs and wonders that were accompanying your advent. Father, help us now as we review these things, as we retell the same story that we know so well and that we love so much. Lord, Father, help us to see afresh what it means to believe in the Christmas story. 
I pray this not only for this Sunday, but the following Sundays in which we will think of our Christ who has come and who will come again. Father, please be with us now. Amen. I'm going to start this sermon by complaining. I'm going to start this sermon by complaining. One, I'm a little sick, as you can tell. And that doesn't make for a good sermon experience, but y'all be all right. But second, and more importantly, uh, Pastor Wen was giving us this uh, task of, you know, uh, four or so of us going through and going through the Gospel of Luke. And, you know, there's some great passages in there. Luke, Luke is a marvelous Gospel to go through, especially during the Advent season. And I was looking through, and I saw the text that I was assigned. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little miffed, Pastor. I'm a little miffed. Here's why. I get John the Baptist where everyone else gets Jesus. I got the short end of the stick. But, hopefully, as we go through this, we will see that though we have John the Baptist only, we still have much to be grateful for with his coming. So in his gospel, Luke is writing to give an orderly account of the long-awaited kingdom of God and the redemption revealed in Christ's ministry. The final prophetic announcements of this, this Savior King would come with his birth announcements of John and Jesus. As we see in our text, and as we just read, Gabriel brought news to Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would miraculously give birth to God's final prophet, John the Baptist. As a prophet, John sets the stage for King Jesus by preaching repentance and the coming kingdom to the children of Israel. And just like all his life and ministry, John's birth narrative ultimately served to highlight Jesus' narrative as the long-awaited Savior King. To many, living in the shadow of another family member makes a soul miserable. You are never the first in the eyes of of the family. But this is what I want us to see today, brothers and sisters. This is what I want us to see. Living in the eyes, or living in the shadow of Jesus, makes the soul glad. Living in the shadow of Jesus makes the soul glad. In our passage, Luke shows us that to live in the shadow of Jesus makes a soul believe, makes a soul bold, and makes us soul blessed. So those are our three points. Living in the shadow of Jesus makes the soul believe, makes the soul bold, and makes the soul blessed. So for our first point, living in the shadow of Jesus makes a soul believe. Zechariah shows us what both an unbelieving and believing life looks like. In verses 5 to 7, we are introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, a couple residing in Judea. Zechariah served as a priest during the, uh, during the Second Temple period while under Roman rule. And Luke underscores that they were both righteous before God. But they had one problem. One problem that brought great dismay in their lives. They were not able to have children. And they were now already advancing years. And certainly, as we can tell from the context, it was a subject for much prayer. But if we know our Old Testaments, we know that it is this kind of couple, couple that God uses for his redemptive purposes. 
In verses 8 and following, we see that Zechariah was chosen by Lot to go to the offering at the altar of incense in the holy place of the temple. While all of his colleagues are praying outside, Zechariah, on this faithful day, enters before the presence of God to do his ritual duty. And God comes to greet Zechariah through his messenger, Gabriel. Naturally, fear overcomes Zechariah. The angel gives him that often repeated phrase, that refrain, Do not be afraid. Gabriel Gabriel brings good news to Zechariah. He and Elizabeth would have a child who would serve as a holy prophet for the Lord. And so through the announcement of John's birth, already a great announcement, Gabriel was also indirectly revealing to Zechariah what God, that God was fulfilling His promise of that long-awaited Savior King. Simply put, Zechariah heard the Gospel. As a teacher of the Old Testament, Zechariah should know how this story ends. Throughout the Old Testament, God loves to combine His redemptive purposes with the opening of barren wombs. Think of Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah. And many of these miraculous births are attended with an angelic announcement. So Zechariah ought to know the pattern of how God fulfills His redemptive purposes. But see how he responds in verse 18. Look there with me. How shall I know this? For I I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So rather than respond with faith and joy to the good news that he has just heard, Zechariah doubts. And note that his focus is more on the logistics of the child rather than the joy of God's coming redemption. His focus is, is completely warped. In response, God gives another sign to Zechariah to confirm his promise. But it would also be a judgment upon his disbelief. Verse 20, Zechariah would become mute for his doubts, but now he and his fellow Israelites would know that God is at work. They were all astounded that he had seen the vision there in the temple. Again, in the Old Testament, we see many great men of faith ask for a sign to confirm God's message to them. Moses was given the sign of his staff turning to a serpent to prove to Israel that he is God's true prophet. Gideon used the fleece of wool twice to confirm God's promise to him. So Zechariah's request is not illegitimate. But here's the thing. God already was going to use the miraculous birth of John to prove his point. Zechariah should have believed God's promise and waited for its sign. And he should have waited expectantly because he stood in the shadow of all of God's kept promises there in the Old Testament. As a teacher of the law, he should have known this. Despite his disbelief, God kept the promise of John's birth. And I love the 180 of Zechariah later in the chapter. Turn there with me. His last words before John were unbelief, right? Before he was mute. How can this be? A a word of disbelief. But once John came, he not only believes God's word, but Zechariah is filled with the Spirit and prophesies, verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
for he has visited and redeemed his people. He understood that the gospel was coming. And once he has John in his hands, he says, and you, verse 76, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Zechariah's joy is not merely about his son's birth, but whom his son will serve. Brothers and sisters, this is what belief looks like. Zechariah stood in the shadow of God's promises of old. But we stand in the shadow of of the promise of John's preparing and Jesus' redeeming. When God keeps His promises, our unbelief and doubts ought to melt away. All of us here stand in the shadow of Christ coming into the world, living a perfect and righteous life, dying in the sinner's place, raising again to eternal glory where He will come to judge the quick and the dead. We all stand in the shadow of King Jesus. What we see in the person of King Jesus is God's promises kept. The question is, brothers and sisters, do you believe this good news? Do you believe this good news? Children, or for the unbeliever who might be amongst us, you may be be like Zechariah before John came, constantly doubting God's Word. How can I believe this? How can I believe uh, this God or this faith? How can I know that this is true? It's very simple. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Get to know God on God's terms, not yours. If you humble yourself, you will see the promises of God fulfilled as you read them off the pages of Scripture. You will see that Christ has come, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. So let the Word of God confront you and change you. Don't follow Zechariah and his unbelief. Don't come under God's judgment. But like Zechariah, turn from your sin in unbelief and rest your joy in the Savior King. But for us believers here, I know that's the majority of us here in the afternoon as we try to keep our eyes open after this delicious feast, of course. Right? You already believe this gospel message, right? But even with this knowledge, your soul, your soul still may be downcast for a variety of reasons. It should never be this way, but melancholy can set into the heart of even the most sincerest of believers. You may be like Zechariah during Elizabeth's pregnancy. I love that imagery of Zechariah, mute for nine months. As soon as he came out of the temple... He was unable to speak to his fellow man. Brothers and sisters, Zechariah knew he had messed up. And imagine, for nine long months, Zechariah saw Elizabeth's stomach miraculously grow with the child. Nine long months of saying, Oh, Zechariah, you fool. Every inch was a testimony to his folly. Zechariah believes God's message all that time because he was mute. Yet he suffered during that time. Dear Christian, you may be where Zechariah was, 
believing the promises of God, but consumed with the frustration of your circumstances in this life. Consumed with frustration where God has placed you in this life. But remember the rest of the narrative. At John's birth, all the relatives and neighbors came to see the new baby. Still that way today. While everyone is rejoicing, Zechariah is quiet, unable to speak. I almost imagine him just being in the corner somewhere. Just being mopey. He's unable, unable to speak. And he's probably wondering to himself when he will finally be able to speak again. The people call the baby Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth tells them, no, his name is John. And everybody looks to Zechariah to weigh in. And it's in that moment that finally, Zechariah is snapped out of his introspection. And he begins to write. And there's something about writing things down. There's something about the process of writing that makes every word so precious. He writes, his name is John. Do you know what John means, brothers and sisters? It means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. I can't help but imagine Zechariah looking up. He sees his child and he sees the promises of God fulfilled. He sees God's grace revealed right before his very eyes. And these glorious words radiate down to Zechariah's gloomy soul. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And it is by meditating upon God's grace. It is then and only then that Zechariah's tongue is released and he erupts in blessing. Dear Christian, continue to believe in the promises of God. Continue to believe even in the darkest night of your soul, just as Zechariah. But let those words of the gospel, let, they, let them penetrate down to your very soul. Meditate upon God's grace. And may you too, for those who are gloomy during this time of year, where grace seems so far off for so many. Meditate upon God's grace and may you too erupt with His praise yet again. Zechariah shows us the folly and misery of unbelief. But when we stand in the shadows of God's promises kept, believing and cherishing them as Zechariah finally did, our souls are transformed. This brings us to our second point. Living in the shadow of Jesus makes the soul bold. Living in the shadow of Jesus makes the soul bold. John's description shows us what it means to be a servant of God. Let's pick it back up with Gabriel in verse 15. Gabriel has announced that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have a son. Many will rejoice at John's birth because he will be great before the Lord. Gabriel prohibits John from wine and strong drink because he was to be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. But this feeling of the Spirit began even in the womb. 
This is Luke's way of underscoring John's status as God's final Old Covenant prophet. The Old Testament prophets were filled with the Spirit to prophesy God's message to Israel. But John was uniquely endowed with the Spirit for his mission to prepare the way of the Lord and the New Covenant. And as we see in verse 16, we will, we will, uh, he will be the final prophet to turn Israel back to God before the dawning and the coming of Christ. In verse 17, Gabriel further describes John's prophetic work. Going before God in the spirit of Elijah, turning the hearts of fathers to children, and the disobedient to righteous. And so just like the great prophet Elijah of old, John will turn men back to God and undo the effects of sin through his gospel ministry. Verse 17 is an allusion to Malachi 4, one that we actually sung earlier today in Heart the Herald Angel Sings. Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6 says this, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he, this prophet Elijah, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Luke clearly understands that John was the final herald of God's end time redemption as promised in Malachi. The day of the Lord, both of judgment and of salvation, was to come. And John was its final herald. I think we see John's work most clearly in Zechariah's prophecy. See there in verses 77 to 79. We see that John was to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high and to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Again, another allusion from Malachi 4. But you who fear my name, the Son, the heavenly body, the Son of righteousness shall, shall rise with healing in its wings. Simply put, John's prophetic ministry is the final testimony to Christ's kingly ministry where forgiveness and healing righteousness has been once for all revealed and has once for all dawned. I love to think of John as the final bow on top of the Old Testament. He is the personification of the Old Testament's preparatory work. He gives knowledge to God's people their need of Christ and their longing joy for Him. It's as Jesus later says in Luke 7, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. John was the very picture of Old Testament piety. Faithful, obedient, used mightily and beloved of God. And in his boldness, he was even beheaded for the cause of Christ. Because John faithfully lived his life in the shadow of Christ, Christ declared him the greatest among all. But remember what Christ said in that same breath where he lauded John the Baptist. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Brothers and sisters, Christ is speaking of us. John did not get to see the full realization of Christ's new covenant kingdom. He died anticipating but we live knowing. We live the reality of Christ's redemption 
accomplished. So brothers and sisters, John stood in Christ's shadow expecting the kingdom. But we stand in Christ's shadow knowing He has inaugurated the kingdom already. I'm so thankful that Pastor Wynn chose Luke's Gospel for us to preach through this Advent season. Luke's Gospel has a large focus on the kingdom of God. A strong focus on Jesus as King. In our day, it's very easy to compartmentalize these birth narratives during the season, especially as we are inundated with messages of precious little babies in their mother's arms. It is the reason for the season, right? But John's story, like Jesus's, John's story does not stop at his birth. John's story goes all the way to the end. He lived a life in utter devotion to his king. And he suffered for it. John provides a supreme example of what devotion to Christ looks like and the urgency of the gospel ministry. John preached a message of repentance to all and it reached the highest places. He was bold even when hated by his community, threatened by the elites, the elites, even tortured and killed by the civil rulers. John's very life was a declaration that King Jesus will rule the day despite the evil forces that raged against him. John was bold because he knew that Jesus is King. And his boldness and gospel ministry should mark every one of our lives because we live in the inaugurated heavenly rule of Christ. As Christ said, even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. If John was so bold, how much more should we? Brothers and sisters, if we must suffer for Christ's kingdom, we must become bold souls. Our boldness does not come from personality type or any kind of gifting or or anything of that sort. Boldness comes through conviction. Boldness comes through conviction. Boldness comes through what we believe. Boldness comes through a rock-solid faith and hope. Boldness comes from what our souls are ultimately captivated by. So let me ask you, are you strong enough? Are you strong enough to suffer the emotional turmoil that your community or even your home might bring against you for the cause of Christ? Do you have the courage to suffer the loss of a job or financial security for King Jesus? As I shared this past Wednesday, I have a dear pastor. He probably doesn't know if he has a job by the end of the semester. Ultimately, because he serves Christ. Do you have the fortitude to suffer through the officials knocking at your door? Do you have the holy zeal to wither away in prison? Are you bold enough to suffer the spiritual torment of wicked men threatening your husband or your wife, your sons or daughters, even that newborn in your arm? Are you bold enough?
King Jesus requires it. Do you have the sanctified will to lay your head down upon the chopping block as John the Baptist did? Brothers and sisters, I have just described the great testimony of the church for the past 2,000 years and of our brothers and sisters across the globe who suffer at this very moment. Left to ourselves, we are not courageous enough. But it is not about how courageous or strong we are in spirit. It is about what we are most captivated by. So, this question, let, so let this question pierce your soul. What are you captivated by? The martyrs of old were captivated by the vision of King Jesus. One faithful day, Stephen, Stephen boldly proclaimed the gospel, which led to his untimely death. As he saw the evil coming to take his life, he was filled with the Spirit and saw the heavens open. He saw the glory of God and King Jesus at his rightful place. Christ's glory captivated Stephen. Stephen called upon Christ with other conviction. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Brothers and sisters, there's many times where I play these scenarios in my own soul. And I wonder, would I be captivated enough by Jesus? Would my thrill be for King Jesus and His glory? Ask yourself that same question. But brothers and sisters, if you cannot answer that in the affirmative, all I can say to you is, come to know the glory of Christ. May we follow the example of both John and Stephen. May our highest love be King Jesus. If we suffer boldly for Christ's sake, our souls, even though it is torment and torture, our souls will be glad. His glory, His kingdom is worth it. So then, John's example ought to motivate us to serve emboldened by the glory of our King. And the final character in this narrative shows us the joy found in God fulfilling His promises. So for our third point, living in the shadow of Jesus makes a soul blessed. Elizabeth's faith in God promised, and faith, faith in God's promises brings joy to her soul. I love the contrast between Elizabeth and Zechariah. Like Zechariah, Elizabeth was righteous before God, and yet she was barren. But she believed God's promises immediately, unlike Zechariah. In verse 24 and 25, we see that God's promise is fulfilled and Elizabeth conceives. For some reason, she hides her pregnancy for the first five months, possibly to avoid the gaze of others looking at an elderly woman with a baby bump. Though she did not share the news publicly, Elizabeth had a secret joy that no strange looks could take away. God had blessed her and removed her status as a barren woman. Elizabeth's character is evocative of key figures from the Old Testament. 
For example, she says that God has taken away her reproach. This is the response. This response is evocative of Rachel, one of the mothers of Israel. Rachel had the same response when she finally had her womb open to give birth to Joseph. And Elizabeth's older age is comparative to Sarah, who likewise was blessed by God and brought forth Isaac. But this is what I want us to see. Elizabeth's blessing would not culminate with John. As we see later in the narrative, and Seth, I'm sorry, I'm going to take from your sermon uh, because I wanted to get to Jesus. As we will see later in the narrative, Elizabeth is visited by Mary. And when Mary comes in and she is pregnant with Jesus, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth knows that Mary is bearing the Lord. And Mary may have been the first person to know of Elizabeth's pregnancy besides Zechariah. Ladies, I, 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 just, I want to ask you, can you imagine the strange scenario that these two women find themselves in? The news about Jesus would surely overshadow the news of John. Here is poor Elizabeth, a barren woman for many years in old age, and she finally has her precious baby. But yet, here is this more important child coming in. But Elizabeth was not bitter. She rejoiced. John was a blessing, yes. But her true blessing was knowing that God was fulfilling His promises and His redemption. Brothers and sisters, Elizabeth shows us what rightly ordered loves look like. And this is why she was so blessed. Even before she was with child, she was already walking with the Lord faithfully. She was righteous before Him. She wasn't pious so that she could receive a child. She was already aged and she would have already come to terms that the Lord would not bless her with child. But that didn't stop her from following and trusting. And even when she received what she always wanted from God, her devotion didn't dwindle because she got what she wanted. Rather, she had even more reason to rejoice in the Lord. And when Mary's pregnancy threatened to overshadow the news of her pregnancy, Elizabeth didn't skip a beat. Her immediate impulse was to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, if only we had the faith in the and perspective of Elizabeth. Our joy in the Lord is often dependent on our circumstances. It's easy to follow God when things are going well. Or it's easy when you see the blessings of God in your life. But remember what we saw with Zechariah and John. Zechariah saw the grace of God and His unfailing promises, even while he was disciplined by, by God Himself. And John was captivated by the glory of King Jesus even to the point of death. So our souls are blessed when we don't focus upon ourselves or our circumstances. Rather, true blessing comes in living for Jesus, believing His promises, and being captivated by His glory. And your soul can be blessed even during low periods in your spiritual walk because our faith is not directed inward, but directed outward and upward to our Heavenly King. God's promises give us joy because it is not about our performance, but it is about God's gracious work. 
And when our glory is found in Christ's glory, our joy will never be moved because Christ's glory is here to stay. He has brought the kingdom. And John is the one who prepared the way. He has done his work. Christ has come. He has accomplished his kingdom and he now reigns forever and ever. And he will come one day again to not consummate this kingdom forever. So to conclude... Living in the shadow of Jesus makes the soul glad. When we see the promises of God fulfilled, our soul ought to burst with faith. When Christ captivates us with His glory, we are emboldened, emboldened to serve no matter the cost. And when Christ, or in God in Christ is our highest love, our soul teems with blessed joy. And so as we go through this Advent season, dear brothers and dear sisters... May our hearts be marked by these same virtues of faith, boldness, and joy. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that when you reveal your gospel, for those who truly are your people, they erupt with courageous vigor to make you known, a holy happiness that cannot be satisfied anywhere else, and an unfailing faith, knowing that our God will keep His promises to the very end. Lord, as my brothers continue this series during Advent, Lord, may You be with them. Lord, may this sermon just be a mere preparatory work for them to show us more of our Christ. For that is what this whole season is about. It is, it is to see the King come in all of His glory, even in the glory of a child in a manger. Father, please be with us now. Sanctify our hearts and our wills that You might be forever honor and praise in our souls and in our lives. We ask this in Your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.